Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Hey, it's great to be with everyone again. And this time we're going to also talk on a new topic. So it's been kind of fun in some of our recent podcasts where we're hitting on some less traditional topics for digital voices. And today it'll be on social determinants of health. And so really excited about this because as we all know, as digital leaders, whether we're on the payer side or life sciences or provider side, social determinants of health is something key to understand. And it is also a key area where we look for digital disruption and transformation. So really excited to talk about social determinants of health. When I first ran into this topic, it was really quite astounding when I learned that much of your healthcare is dictated and your health and well-being is dictated by your zip code. And there's been lots of studies on that. And it's, it's just mind boggling that depending on where you live and where you grow up really impacts the quality of care that you receive. So with that in mind, it's clear that social determinants of health is really a, an important topic because you can be in great cities and I won't go into detail but you could be in some great places with world-class institutions and in that same zip code, not have a world-class experience. And, you know, it, it speaks to a lot of different things in our society. Uh, and so we're going to talk and tackle a little bit on social determinants of health today. And I have no one better than Victoria Gates from Experian to tackle this topic with me. So, uh, Victoria, welcome to Digital Voices. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, so, you know, if you've listened to any of our pods before, you know that we ask everyone the same two questions. And the first question is, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Like when you have downtime or whatever, or maybe go dancing, what type of music is typically on your playlist? So a couple different things. This is not an easy question to answer. However, I do have an answer. I would say, you know, honestly, top 40 is something that comes to mind only because I like to still feel like I'm young and trendy. But then also, you know, you get some really good upbeat songs, which I genuinely enjoy. But I will say on the other end of the spectrum, um, I do like, I don't know like how we always classify these, but like alternative indie rock, like the National or Lumineers, which is like American folk. So yes. I kind of go across the spectrum, um, but I appreciate both both sides of that. So I think music is kind of like wine. If it speaks to you and you enjoy it, then that's for you and there's no good or bad, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah, you know, even in the last uh, two weeks, I, I know one night we were dancing to DJ Diesel, that's Shaq, you know, from basketball fame. He's, he's, yeah. He has this other persona called DJ Diesel. So we were at some beach club in Vegas. This was part of him. It's where he was the DJ. And my wife loves hip hop, but she also loves Latin. So later in the week when we were back in Dallas for work, on last Friday night, we were at a Latin club doing all the Latin dances and Latin music. And then the next night, we we're doing country dancing and country music. So it's good, like you, Victoria, to have a broad palette. And whatever fits the, like wine, you have different red wine, white wine with different types of foods and, and such. And so you have different types of music to go along with different types of dance. So yeah, it's whatever all good. speaks to you. Yeah. So what about your, you know, do you have a passion in life or a life mantra or message? Something that sort of guides you in everything that you do? I do. Um, I kind of have my, I have my formal answer, which is, you know, it's never wrong to do the right thing. 
Um, and, and then I have just my own version of that, which is, you know, when you break it down and I have these discussions, I like to say, you know, at the end of the day, when I look myself in the mirror, can I be proud or feel good about myself on, on how I did that day? And if not, right, we're all human to reflect, how can I do better? Bring that awareness to myself because I'm, I'll make mistakes, but that kind of is my guiding, guiding light, if you will, you know, just to try to be the best version that I can. Um, and, and then that's really important. So integrity and then just, just trying to do the best that you can. We're all human and we're all in this, in this world together. Yeah, that's, that's great, Victoria. Uh, DJ Cindy, I was just thinking that uh, someday we should just compile in a single episode all of the answers to that question because it's such great life advice like what Victoria just shared. So uh, we should file that away and someday come out with a pod like that. And we'll start off with Victoria. So tell us, I know it's a little bit hard sometimes to speak about yourself, but I think people will be interested about sort of your journey, Victoria, and where to where you are today. So just part of your introduction, you know, your journey and what you're doing today with Experian. Yeah. So, you know, I'll kind of do a quick scan just to give a little color and so people can get to know me a little bit. So I'm a born and bred Chicagoan. Um, I was fortunate that I had been there for uh, the Bulls three-peats twice in a row. It was a very exciting time nice. in the city. Um, <laughs> so it's a big Chicago sports fan, um, but born and bred there. So Midwest, I'll go through all the seasons. I can relate pretty much to everyone in the country in a different way because um, we get the snippets all the time. Yeah. Um, but but growing up in Chicago was great. I um, completed my undergrad in computer science at Loyola, and I moved into software engineering. And I quickly realized as I was going through um, my career experiences that I was always curious and asking questions of why we were doing certain things. Why was, you know, why are we doing this enhancement? Why are we building this product? And really wanting to understand more on the user side, the buyer side, what is the value? What are all those, those pieces and how they all fit together? So not just what we were building and how we were doing it, but really curious for why do they want that? What is it, what does it do for their, their product, their ecosystem, their workflow? Um, how is this product helping? Is it making the world a better place or, you know, what are we doing exactly? And so those types of questions kind of navigated my career a little differently. And I moved out actually of development and um, moved more into like a technical consultant role over time, business analyst, all of those roles. And, you know, as my career expanded over the past 20 years, uh, went into product management through that. I went back, I got my master's, um, I ended up leaving Chicago, living on the East Coast for 10 years, and now I'm in Austin, Texas. So experiencing different cultures and areas has also kind of rounded out some of how I have uh, been able to view and experience different industries, too. So through that career, it spanned through, you know, uh, fintech, martech, healthcare, all of it has been working with data. And so it's really interesting how in all of those industry data can fuel powerful decisions, can impact a consumer or patient's journey. And I feel like that really kind of hits into what we do within healthcare a lot. And we're seeing a lot more of how data is really fueling a digital patient experience, right? We've, we've seen that come up so much in the past few years and truly feel that the last couple of years uh, really served as a catalyst for us um, in that space. And so I think there's just a ton to go in there. So my background has always worked with data. Uh, I have a very large passion for it and what you can do with it and, you know, getting it right and making sure that we can we can do good to fuel things with that. 
Yeah, that's cool. A little known fact, our youngest, we have five kids. Our youngest son, his name is Austin, named after the city of Austin because we enjoy oh, it. We is love, there... Yeah, we love Austin. Yeah. And yeah, uh, it's a unique, unique and wonderful town. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, and so tell us a little bit about Experian and what you're doing at Experian. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of the data and social determinants. Yeah. So, you know, if we look at Experian, Experian, I'm sure everybody knows the name. We always think of kind of the credit bureau side of the house. Experian's been around for many, many years, and we are um, composed of several different business units doing many different things, right? We have fraud and identity. We have marketing technologies. We're in the credit bureau. And we also have a health division. And it's very exciting to understand, you know, what we're able to to do here. So, Within Experian Health, we um, a core of our business is RevCycle, and you know we are you know continuing to fuel and grow that piece. And as Experian acquired uh, Passport, which helped really build that portfolio of healthcare, we have you know taken the classic approach of you know what tools and technology do you have within your walls to help better your own products or advance them. Um, and kind of elevate things to the next level or create new products. And so that's, that's really what we've done here um, with identity and care management. So um, in product management, we have our identity portfolio of products and understanding the power of data. So Experian's been in that data industry 40 plus years. We have several different types of data. Um, we're able to kind of pull that together to really fuel um, identity resolution, right? Understanding who someone is, protection, how can we stop, you know, fraud and those those um, other attacks that can happen. But then also very importantly, the enrichment piece. And enrichment oftentimes is thought of as just like demographics or, you know, hey, can you get an email or, a, you know, is that phone a mobile or not? But it goes beyond that. There are a lot of other factors to append to really get to that core of what who a patient is. What do we need to know about a patient? And this happens in other industries. So I'm very excited that it's happening in healthcare because, the impact is is so great. Um, and it's very different than perhaps other industries, right? You're talking about someone's health and outcomes. I mean, that's very important. So understanding who Victoria Dames is, understanding, you know, perhaps what my preferred language is, what's my ethnicity, those things that can impact how you interact with me or my healthcare journey, depending on known factors that can impact those pieces. And then naturally kind of breaking into social determinants of health here. So what are those non-clinical factors and how do those all stack up for individuals um, and how we bring that to market in a way to help you know, our clients and ultimately help our patients get the best healthcare outcomes possible. So there's multiple prongs approaches. So Experian Health, obviously this is one sector of them. We have a few different pillars of the business here that we comprise um, together. Um, and so it's really exciting kind of the journey and the direction that we're headed. Yeah, that's awesome. What's the particular vision, or maybe you had already captured it in your in your last uh, description? What what's sort of the vision or end state for Experian in helping your customers? Yeah, so so you know, I kind of hit on it a little bit already. So we have our core web cycle business, and we're continuing to grow and evolve that piece. But a big focus here for us in our vision is around innovation. So growth growth and innovation so what are we seeing in the market and it's specifically around you know patient-centric areas right so identity management population health patient engagement so these are things and you know kind of they're also closely intertwined as we talked about in the beginning of the call of this uh podcast here is hey the patients expect kind of what you see in other industries now right so they want that digital engagement they they expect that experience right. and so 
how can we fuel an accurate and, and well-rounded healthcare, a patient's healthcare journey, both from the business perspective on the organizations that can fuel that. So providing them with the tools to enable that. And then also from the patient side, have that experience be positive. So I want to, you need to know who Victoria Dames is. You want to know that she can schedule. She can do all these things from her mobile phone with ease of use, get reminders, interact with her doctor. I mean, there's so many other components and fueling that data behind it can really make that seamless. And it's, we're doing a lot in a short amount of time as an industry, right? Others have slowly been chipping away and evolving and healthcare, you know, pounded a Red Bull and we are going really fast and hard, (laughs) I feel like in the past couple of years. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. So we talked a little bit about uh, population health and analytics, things like that. And I know some of your focus is also social determinants of health. How, how do you define or experience? How do you define, let's just say our audience, not everyone's super familiar with the concept. Can you sort of share how you all view social determinants of health? Yeah, I think, I think that's really important um, to kind of to level set because there are, just like with anything, there's a lot of uh, interpretations of what this is and um, kind of what defines it. So I would say social determinants of health are your non-clinical factors um, that can account for about 80% of health outcomes. Um, so what does that mean? So that means those factors provide you insights into financial, you know, transportation and technology barriers. Um, and those things can impact, you know, access to care. So your access to medication, whether that's your ability to go pick it up or medication adherence. Um, so medication adherence is, is impacted by, can you get to the doctor to get your prescription or the pharmacy, or can you do that follow up? Right. Um, and food and housing instability, both of those pieces. So all of those elements are important to those healthcare outcomes, and we see them in in a, in a few different workflows. So readmissions, we see them in overall healthcare, and just you know, uh, a person's overall overall personal portfolio of how they're caring for themselves. You know, some people are doing the best they can with what they have, but there are other ways to augment that. So, at the core of it, it's what are those elements that are non clinical, but that we know are impacting our outcomes within healthcare. Yeah. So, Victoria, one thing you said, which is a staggering statistics, and, you know, hopefully people have an opportunity to really reflect on it. That is, and I've seen this before, where 80% of your well-being, your healthcare outcomes is, has nothing to do with the clinical care. And and again, like when I started, you know, by zip code, you can, you sort of have your fate, unless there's some sort of intervention already laid out for you. And so it's really, really important, this whole concept of social determinants. It's only in the last, I don't know, what do you think, five, 10 years that we've really started paying deep attention to it. In fact, social determinants, I don't think really was a known phrase until, well, I don't want to date myself, but certainly not 10 years ago. I think it's really come more into play in the last uh, five years, you know, at at scale. And, you know, one thing that uh, one of my former uh, managers that I reported to, he was the CEO of New York City Health and Hospitals, Dr. Ram Raju. He would tell me, Ed, there's no health equity without social equity. And it comes down to a lot of these social determinants of health. And even, and again, just for our listeners, and then we'll turn it back to you, Victoria, but it just, I, I'm pretty passionate about this topic as well. Even for, our, you know, for our listeners, uh, the most of us, we don't really have to worry about things that you just talked about, access to transportation, food, healthy food, affording healthy food. But one other thing we take for granted, especially if we're in a big city, is broadband. 
And what was really interesting, as uh, Chris Ross and I, he's the CIO of Mayo Clinic, we're working on a book right now, and we're doing all these focus groups. And I had run across this before in a previous book where even in big cities, there's 25% of the population that does not have access to broadband. So when you talk about doing televideo, uh, you talk about digital front doors, they can't do it because they don't have a remote patient monitoring, they can't do it. So, so it's important to recognize that. So it's not just rural areas, but it's big cities as well. Okay. Um, let me let me move on a little bit. So, Victoria, how how are you seeing some of your customers, how or providers and payers, how are they enabling success with understanding social determinants? So, what are they doing with the some of the things we just spoke about and and enabling better patient care? Yeah. So, and you you hit on to so many points here. I feel like we can go on and on, but we're going to stay focused because there are. It is. It's it, it's a topic that has so much depth to it. You know, we see this. So you have providers and payers in slightly different spectrums here of how they would interact and handle these um, social determinants of health to make a meaningful and impactful um, impact on their communities and both their patients and members. So kind of in two areas, I would say that I would kind of define that, you know, one is you have payers, right? So they can understand what the social determinants or health are for their community or geographical location. So what are those barriers that exist there? And what are the, um, what's the action that can be taken? So it's one thing to know or understand those factors. It's another thing of, well, what do you do now? How do you bridge that gap to make a difference? Um, and there are, you know, there are programs and examples to help get around those pieces. So, um, as you start to, to tap into that, so as a, as a payer, it can be partnering with different organizations that help provide transportation and food services and other things to the community. There's also housing programs to help bring those in um, and help stabilize that. Just by uplifting some of that in that awareness piece, it, if you step back again, it cuts down on the amount of care someone would need or the readmissions, right? And all of those things from a payer perspective ultimately help their business model as well. They're providing better care. They're not having as many folks return visits um, as well as coming back, not only for readmissions, but also preventing them from coming in because they're starting to take care of themselves better, right? Or they have that access to food um, and those pieces. And so knowing, you know, is there public transportation? We There are many now rideshare that have come out specifically for healthcare too. So there's there are these opportunities and by helping um, infuse those into the community, that can change from a, from a, a payer aspect. From a provider aspect, um, as we look at organizations, you know, value-based care is very important and um, has also kind of come up, you know, as, as such a focus point. So how can we ensure that we also aren't having somebody leave the ER and or just the hospital and come right back in within 30 days? Are there preventable measures? And we do see that. And knowing what we can do now, It'd be great if we had the holy grail and can do this for everything. But hey, if we can cut that down drastically, which we can and have seen by understanding what those factors are, if somebody just can't come back for a follow-up appointment and we can't catch something, what could we be preventing? If if somebody doesn't say they can't get to their medication and we understand that and can provide medication on the spot or ensure that we have that delivered via mail, the outcome for that person, you know, that helps save their life or prevents them from be coming back in is huge. So, so kind of putting it at a very um, straight workflow level from a patient and provider are kind of two different aspects that it impacts. I think, you know, 
I don't know, take a minute and you stop me if we have to, but you know, I want to talk kind of about like an example of where this happens. We have success stories, right? And this is, yes, please. I love kind of tapping into a few of these just to really make it resonate because conceptually it's, I think everyone understands um, access to care. We had a provider um, population was in an area where there was a 37% poverty rate, right? So understanding that we had some barriers already there. A common barrier for that was transportation to and from appointments. Um, so by understanding that that was the leading factor for um, care, partnered with uh, Roundtrip, which offers transportation to, to patients to come in and out of their appointments. The result of that program and understanding that social determinant of access to care, knowing it was a problem in this area, partnering with Roundtrip to offer those services, the no-show rate for appointments was five times better than the national average. Wow. So being able to cut into that changes that. So, you know, I just, and I always try to go back, you think about all those people, those health outcomes that have changed. Um, so that one kind of is a really great example of it's just even getting there. Um, you know, another one has to do with food insecurity. So a provider on the East Coast, a lot of senior patients, we do see this a lot, um, it's a common trend, right? There are different things that prevent them um, from making it in. And they, they naturally are prone to a higher risk of readmissions for a variety of factors. Um, but one of the things was around food insecurity. And by employing staff members to help individuals complete the SNAP form, which is a federal supplemental nutritional assistance program form, and then also providing just some food emergency services, they had a 60% reduction in readmission. Mm, wow. So yeah, your quality of care, your readmission rate, couple staff members and providing service, emergency food services to that um, area to really, you know, knock down the food insecurity barrier and, and lower that. So pretty impactful um, as you roll these programs out and understand what's going on within your community and area. Yeah, it's it's huge impact. Uh, those examples were, were great, especially the last one where you're, you know that you're having a major impact on the quality of life on the care for that individual, the patient experience. And also there's a great financial benefit too. And so, yeah, that's, that's really good. And that's why this topic is so important. Were, were there cases where, you know, what, let me ask it this way. What sort of tools like digital tools are necessary to do social determinants of health? So what's, how are they figuring out these opportunities and addressing the opportunities, like the examples you just gave? What are some, you know, digital capabilities that our listeners should really be thinking about making sure they're, whether they're payer, provider, or life sciences that their organization has to ensure they can maximize social determinants of health? Yeah, so I think there's a few different ways we step through it. And again, there's a multi-pronged approach here. But I think one of the key things is understanding that the tools that are centralized in your workflows, your systems, et cetera, getting the capabilities and understanding to have SDOH infused into them, right? So, you know, you're going to have from a provider perspective, if you have individuals working with patients, you would want that SDOH information available prior to the visit front and center. So that's important on that, that component is that integration, making sure that we are enabling, obviously, I'm going to say you know, front lines to understand what those factors are from an, from a business perspective, organization perspective, and understanding kind of what programs you can bring in. That's a, that's a different kind of workflow angle, but it's yeah. really important on how you fuel those pieces. 
you know, as you're looking at, you know, having people come for telehealth visits and, you know, leveraging, um, you know, scheduling, understanding if you're doing scheduling that somebody has a social determinant of health barrier for access to care. Like, do they have a way to get there? And if that is infused right there, there can be an understanding of how those tools all come together. There's there's a lot of overlap that can happen with these, uh, with different tools and, and pieces. But hey, if you're in, if you're scheduling and you have um, the inability to get to your appointment, we need to be able to kind of call that out. And you know, do we plug in a few options for ride chairs? You know, what's the next step that we would want to automate yeah. from that. And then and I say that specifically because different areas will have, you know, I mentioned kind of round trip, there's different, you've got uh, Lyft Health, Uber Health, there's other pieces, local organizations and cities have those too. Um, we see the, I see the ride chairs here in, in Austin that are picking up people. So there's a lot of different ways to infuse that all digitally and and make that available to folks so that it it's all seamless. And that's kind of the other piece of this is how do you make it a seamless interaction for a patient? Um, and kind of incorporate that into the standard level of healthcare that we provide um, in general. I think, like I said, a programs aspect, you can set up some of those programs, but you still have to notify them. You still have to inform people where those are. So how are you communicating with people? Um, I think understanding is your audience and your community of, of patients or members, are they you know, subscribing to your uh, newsletters? You know, are they looking on your Facebook? Like, how can you inform them of the programs that are offered to them? There's a lot of other ways to kind of pull all of that together as well and communicate those benefits to them. Yeah, the key point that I picked out of that, Victoria, and I like your word of infused, but, you know, whether we use integration or infuse social determinant health programs need to be part and parcel of the fabric of your organization and therefore already embedded in the existing tools that you have so it's very seamless and easy so you don't want to you don't want to separate the two and cause an extra step for anyone because then we know what will happen there but won't get used as much and it'll be fragmented but if you build it right into your systems your tools then that's the best way it's there at the point of care it's easy for the patient to select yes i need a ride and it automatically takes them to you know whatever company uh for the ride and, and knows the locations and all that kind of stuff. Everything's very seamless. So that's a really good, really good perspective. You know, Victoria, is there some question uh, that I didn't ask that you'd like to talk about or perhaps something we talked about, but you want to double down on as we sort of round out our time together? I like doubling down. We're going to do, we're going to do a double down. Now, um, I actually... I actually think there's probably a, a component here that I think the audience is, you know, is probably asking is like, okay, so we've talked about some of these factors. We know they've been around for, like we said, the, the words have been around for 10 years, five years, right? I'd say five is where you really started to hear them. And now they're actually, yeah. ten, I feel like more tangible, but I think understanding what those factors are um, for SDOH is, is key. And one of the things kind of we're doing as well is coupling that with a readmission uh, risk model and understanding quantifying how the value of the folks that you, you know, potentially have readmitted, how you can bring that down and quantify that by knowing what those social determinants of health are um, to make that a more powerful as well as confident decision. Um, so I'm excited to kind of work with, you know, organizations across the board to say, let's, we, we can quantify what we've seen now and let's use those factors to make a difference um, as we kind of approach this pro It's not going away. These non-clinical factors are here to stay. There will, we will have them in every, they're going to be different in every area. And so I think, you know, 
creating an approach and a step to do this, right? Understand who your community is, understanding what your barriers are, creating a plan on how to do that and understanding where those key key steps are. If you, you, know, you can, I can't boil the ocean over right away right. And, and kind of execute upon that because you will make a difference for your organization from, from a business perspective, but also for, from a patient and a healthcare perspective too. Yeah, Victoria, that's been fascinating speaking with you and getting your insights in terms of social determinants and certainly how you see those from, from your point of view, given your, your background and, and your work today. And I just want to thank you very much because it's really enlightening. And, I, and I'm sure that our audience has gained a, a lot greater understanding on the importance of social determinants of health and how we incorporate that into our digital tool sets. So thank you, Victoria. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I hope uh, everybody enjoys this podcast. Come back and, and listen to this one and all the others. All right. Thank you. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff, and we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.